Hey folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple months, you've heard all about the GameTime app and how it can save you some serious cash on last minute tickets to sports, concerts, all types of shows. If you want to go to the Sugar Bowl, it's your app. Tickets in New Orleans, they're going to drop close to game time. So if you're going to travel down to New Orleans, if if you don't have tickets yet, you'll be able to get them at the last minute with game time. Also, game time is hooking you up for the holidays with $10 credit. Here's what to do. Download the game time app in the Google Play or App Store. Click on the My Tickets section of the app. Create an account. Then under the billing section, redeem code the athletic. Again, that's the athletic, all one word, for $10 off your first purchase. That's free money, people. Credit is only available to the first 1,000 people who redeem, and it expires at the end of the year. That's December 31st, 2019. So make moves quick and score last minute tickets. <laughs> We just stepped on their face with a hobnail boot and broke their nose. We just crushed their face. Hello, everybody. This is Seth Emerson with the Damn Good Podcast. Over there is Rennie Curran. Rennie, how you doing today? Doing great, man. Glad to be on again. It's a, it's a bleak day here. I'm looking out my window here in Athens, Georgia, and it's a cold, rainy day. Um, when you're hearing this, it may be also a bleak day, but maybe not so bleak for Georgia by Wednesday and by the time the early signing period comes around, we're we're not going to get into Georgia's going to sign this guy, maybe not sign this guy, blah blah blah, because you know we don't want you listening to this Wednesday or Thursday and saying no 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 they didn't get C.J. Stroud or Jordan Birch or whatever these guys. Um, wanted to kind of keep it to some general topics, get into a little bit on Rennie. You've been on the other side of it as a recruit. I. I guess to talk a little bit about what that was like and what you remember about it, like what, what stands out to you about the whole process? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing that stands out to me that most people don't realize is as fun as it looks and as cool as it is to be able to share, you know, that this school offered you and that school offered you, it's extremely stressful. Uh, being 18 years old, uh, making potentially one of the biggest decisions of your life for that time span um, and for that kind of area of your life, man, it's it's extremely stressful. I mean, just especially if you're that in that situation where you're a hometown kid and maybe these to like a University of Georgia hasn't offered, kind of slow to offer you, or they're not really sure, and so you have to start looking at other options. Then it just becomes kind of crazy. But at the same time, you know, it's a blessing to be in the position, and, and uh, you know, you realize that when you start to get those off. Your teammates that you play with and you grew up with, maybe they're not getting some. So you, you just realize how rare it is and how extremely fortunate you are at the same time. So it's it's a lot of different dynamics going on there that you have to deal with, like I said, at 17, 18 years old. Yeah, I, I, it gets back to, I think, what we've talked about before, where to the outside world, even reporters like me, you kind of see players as names on a depth chart names on a on a board uh, commodities which i guess we are all commodities in our own way um but there's a personal side to it and y- you deciding on whether to go to georgia or you know 
Auburn, Alabama, Florida, whatever the considerations are, that's a huge life choice. And it's for us on the outside, it's, is it going to help the team that I work for the team I cover? But for, for the players, I guess you kind of lose track of this is, this is a huge deal. This is your life. Um, when I decided where I was going to college, not many people cared, but, uh, it, it's a whole different animal for you guys. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. Like, like I said, it has ripple effects and, and many implications to not just that time span of when you're playing as an athlete, but like in your overall life, I think about now Georgia, that commitment I made to stay home, stay in state. That was probably one of the biggest decisions in my life. Now as an entrepreneur for what I do, you know, as a speaker, going around the state, um, a businessman, entrepreneur, um, I'd say about 70% of business comes from relationships from University of Georgia or, or some way tied back to University of Georgia mm-hmm. because of the name recognition, uh, which is what a lot of uh, players don't think about as well. But yeah, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, when you look at a guy who goes all the way out to California or something, then he comes back and after his career is over, how that impacts the rest of his life. I mean, it's, there's so many things that are bigger than just football. But, yeah, from a fan's point of view, is to, does this player uh, increase our recruiting, you know, uh, uh, basically our recruiting rating as a school, and then are they going to help us win a national championship? That's kind of right. as far as the, <laughs> the perspective goes for uh, the typical fan. But, yeah, and then you think about, as a player, how this impacts, like, your family. Um, for me... Both my parents didn't know anything about uh, Georgia football or recruiting or anything like that. What they did know was that they weren't going to have to pay for college, <laughs> uh, which is a huge yeah. uh, just uh, burden that was lifted off their shoulders. I mean, at this time, my mom was paying all the bills. My dad, was uh, he had lost his business, so his checks were getting garnished. So there was the, those family situations that were going on that I was able to basically alleviate that for my family, man, uh, through hard work and through dedication. I know a lot of people think that, or they'll say sometimes, oh, we're giving a scholarship, but you, you earn that. And that's another uh, piece of it as well. It's just the amount of hard work, the hours that go into actually being one of those players that's able to set yourself apart from the thousands of other high school athletes who are trying to get that chance. And so, um, yeah, it's it's a very, very complex time and, and very uh, deep and just to be able to be one of those names on the list. I think people really don't understand like just what it takes to, to be one of those four stars or what it takes to be one of those five stars, the amount of dedication and hours of hard work and, you know, just hours with trainers, you, you know, all those things that it takes to really get there. Yeah. The, the money thing is interesting. Like for, for anybody who's ever lived kind of, whether it's paycheck to paycheck or just kind of, you know, month to month, whatever it is that I, I think that's kind of not appreciated. Um, I, I remember dealing with the Rodrigo Blankenship mm. situation a few years ago and people were seeing that in the context of just, you know, whether he deserves a scholarship or not, whether his touchback percentage was enough, um, whether Georgia could go get another kicker or whatever. And, and I remember, you know, talking to his dad, um, maybe some other family members who were kind of just, you know, probably oversharing what the financial situation was. And it was kind of like, yeah, you know, this is, this is a big deal. Um, and it's, it's a big deal. And it's, it's the kind of, it, again, it gets back to the life, how, how important it is and things we don't appreciate. One difference 
from when you were signing to now, and, and this I think has changed so many things, is the early signing period, where now not everybody's going to sign this week. The early signing period is Wednesday through Friday. There's going to be some people, including a big Georgia target uh, commitment, five-star offensive lineman, Broderick Jones, but Auburn's trying to get in there. He's not going to sign until February, so maybe that's a little bit of a worry, but there's going to be a lot of stuff that happens. Um, do you think this would have changed much for you, Rennie, the timing of it? Not in – I think that for a lot of people, they – are a little bit kind of disappointed there's no longer the first Wednesday in February, this one huge day, but they made this change for a lot of reasons. Part of it being, like, if people are ready to sign, just let them sign. Um, but what, what do you think it would have changed much? Do you do you like it, the early signing period? I mean, do you wish uh, it had been around or, I, or what? I got mixed feelings on it. I mean, I think for uh, guys like myself and, and those who were focused and who were ready and knew – where they were going, uh, and there was no question. Like for me, I knew I was going to Georgia. Like there was just no. <laughs> I, I basically killed all my recruiting when it came to, <laughs> came to that because I let everybody know at the beginning that this was my my dream school, that this is where I wanted to go. And so uh, for a guy like myself, I definitely would have gotten it out of the way um, early if I could, just so you can focus, you know, on preparing yourself. There's no, uh, you know, big pressure come February to put on any type of show or any type of party, all that's out the way. All you have to do now is just focus on training and making sure that you're ready to go, which is what I did anyway. So I don't think it would have changed uh, anything much for me. But, um, yeah, for those players who maybe are um, still waiting on that opportunity or still, um, you know, don't don't get the opportunities that they want, um, I think having uh, two signing days, is an advantage, especially when you look at the coaching staff changes and the things that are happening after the bowl games that are under your control. Um, I think yeah. having some time to adjust and, and you know, reevaluate can be good, especially when you're talking about making a decision that's going to impact the rest of your life. And then there's also um, players who, you know, the colleges will bring in, um, junior college transfers, things like that, that uh, can, can influence a, a kid's decision. So, yeah, I think it, it definitely um, can be a benefit having this early signing day, but, you know, there's always going to be mixed opinions, right? Yeah, the reason it was done, the SEC was clear that they didn't want this. I remember being in SEC meetings in Destin a couple years ago um, when coaches and, and Greg Sankey, the commissioner, was – I'm not sure how much he cared, like, personally as an administrator, but it was pretty clear that he was – hearing it from coaches that they didn't like this but this was instituted on a national scale in large part as kind of a shot at the sec because they were and mainly the powers like even within the sec what like for instance the kentuckys of the world what was happening to them was they had a commitment from somebody and then as a georgia was working through its class decided well we've got a spot for canarius gates there's an offensive lineman at Georgia a few years ago who was committed to Kentucky, and, and Georgia came in and said, all right, we've got a spot for you. Canarius Gates goes, oh, okay, great. I've always wanted to go to Georgia. Takes the offer. <laughs> Suddenly, Kentucky's sitting there holding a spot, <laughs> and they're, they're sitting left holding the bag, so to speak. Um, and <laughs> so nationally, they and this they felt like this was happening in a large scale, that the SEC was raiding classes at the last second and the idea here was you have one early signing period where you let kids sign who want to sign 
the smoke clears a little bit and then everybody in February gets a chance to come back. And I think it's had the desired effect, Rennie, in that one of the big desired effects also was not to have kids lose a scholarship at the last second. Because when you had one signing day, the first February, first Wednesday in February, um, let me give him the name, John Smith, defensive back. Uh, he he committed to Georgia a long time ago, and I'm just using Georgia as an example. Um, let's not even use Georgia because if, if you're going to be committed to a Georgia, you're going to get another place. But let's say they were committed to some kind of fringe school, and that school at the last second pulls the offer, and there's nowhere else available for him. There's other schools that would have offered him, but they don't have spots because everyone's working on the same signing day. So you're, you're hearing less and less stories like that. And you heard, you heard it all the time before when there was one signing day, the first, Feb, first Wednesday in February. You're, you're not hearing that now. You, you have early signing period, the smoke clears, teams have a chance to come back and kind of sort out their, their rosters a little bit better. Um, I think that's been good. Uh, Rennie, I, I don't think you were at the level where, I mean, you know, if, if an offer from you had been pulled, you wouldn't have been able to go somewhere. But this was, this was, I thought, a good thing, kind of like the transfer portal. People like to knock the transfer portal, but I think it's it's a good thing. It's for players, um, and we kind of forget that. Um, but it, this is my long-winded thing. I don't even know if I, I'm asking you for a response <laughs> on this, Rennie. But if, if you want to jump in, um, I don't know if you remember hearing stories like that about kids who just basically got left out in the cold because of – an offer being pulled at the last second. Yeah, it's, it's rare, I mean, that you hear that story. Um, I don't remember hearing too many of it. Typically, it was it was uh, maybe a player that backed out or he did commit it, and um, and so it kind of fell back on him and the decision that he made not to commit or not to, you know, fully declare where right. he was going. Um, or it would be like, it, it was kind of clear on the, on the wall as far as what I noticed from, from teams. Like, if they were targeting another player and you were kind of there second you know second or third option they they were pretty honest in letting you know that or at least by their actions too so they sometimes they wouldn't even have to say it but um yeah when it comes to the the early signing and the transfer portal i think most people are gonna you know really look at at the end of the day how this is impacting their team how uh, the coaches are going to look out for their best interests and and you know things that impact them but when you look at the players it's a whole different dynamic because at the end of the day you have a four-year window to put yourself in the best position as possible. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that means you have to make a selfish decision that, that people aren't going to agree with. But at the end of the day, you know, like we're thinking, like I just shared before, you got the family dynamics to think about. You have, you know, when you go on that team, it's not just you're going to this team. It's not it's not just like you're going to this university. You're going uh, there and joining alongside with players who were the best the best coming out you know they were the five stars that you just a year before so you have to consider all of those things uh so it's, it's extremely tough and it's a lot more complex than just saying you know this transfer portal is right or wrong or this early signing is right or wrong so when you when you're in it man it's it's a very challenging thing and every situation is different yeah and the one thing that i don't think is changing is that you're still going to have coaching changes that happen after players sign somewhere um, exactly. You know, and, and I think that's tacky, but it happens. It's going to continue to happen. I think there are, and I'm not talking about 
Georgia. I'm not up. I'm not going on any intel that I think something is definitely going to happen after the early signing period. You're going to see it everywhere. You're going to see players and and players, coaches, and some of that's also going to have to do with the NFL hiring cycle. Um, I think I threw this out there last year. I mean, you know, Cortez Hankton played in the in the NFL. He has some NFL contacts. I mean, if he gets offered an NFL coaching job, especially as a receivers coach, um, in January, once that coaching carousel starts going, um, you can't really you can't really blame him. It's when it's when someone holds something in reserve. They know it's going to happen. And they're waiting until signing day, where it's really tacky, and that's what happened with Roquan Smith. UCLA tried to pull that. Um, I forget the guy's name, and, and I don't know if he's still with the Falcons. Help me out, Ray, if you remember. But um, yeah, his linebacker coach with yeah, uh, yeah, his recruiter Brian. Uh, well, I, I think we all remember linebacker too. Yeah, I remember the story. Um, everyone remembers the story. The, the, the guy knew he was going to the Falcons to be hired by, I think, Dan Quinn. Um, was it Dan Quinn or was it Mike Smith? I don't know. It, but he was going to go there. and Yeah, it's Dan Quinn. Yeah, and the story breaks as basically Roquan Smith is announcing for UCLA. And Georgia coaches start burning up Roquan's phone saying, hey <laughs> – Look, look what's happening here. And Roquan was already like not 100% sure of his decision. And I mean, he was telling people he hadn't even heard. He's like, man, I don't know. I might, I, might, I know I just announced for UCLA, but I, I might decommit right away. And then he looks at his phone and Georgia coach is saying, look at what's happening to your UCLA recruiter. And, you know, that's where it's, I mean, it's one thing if, if uh, an opportunity arises after. The signing day. It's another thing if, like, a head coach knows he's going to let a coach go, but he, you know, it, it's really tacky if you if you've got a coach who you think is a really good recruiter, but you don't love his ability to coach and develop, so you keep him through the signing day and then let him go. Um, that kind of stuff happens all the time too. I just I don't know what you do about it other than people like me in the media shaming the head coaches. Yeah, it's uh. Man, I don't even know what to, what to say when it comes to that. Uh, it's it's a very um, it's just a challenge. And like you said, if a guy like a, a Cortez, um, you know, our wide receivers coach, if he gets an opportunity, it's it's hard to turn down. But at the same time, if you already know about it and you choose to hold out, especially on a, I mean, on an eighteen year old kid who's making who's trusting you, and that's the thing we trust these guys with our lives. Like that's a it's such a major portion, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's when it it gets very very complex, and I think not a, enough people talk about that aspect of it. When you look at the the transfer portal and you look at the early signing and, and how players choose to navigate, um, a lot of times they don't take into uh, account, you know, the the coaches and and uh, not only when they change or when they have the opportunity to leave, but also when they change in terms in terms of who they're giving their attention to, because we know, like we know when. A player, a coach is high on a certain player or high on a certain recruit, and we all of a sudden they've been blowing us up and texting us, and all of a sudden they stop, and it's just like, okay, well, what's going on? It's kind of like, you know, you got a girlfriend, and then all of a sudden, you know, she she loves you, and then a couple of weeks later, you stop hearing from her, you're texting her, you're calling her, and you're just like, man, what happened? Like, did I am I ugly now? All of a sudden, like, what's what's going on? So there's a lot of that uh, going on too. That that's kind of behind the scenes that. You know, players are not going to talk about, but it happens and it, it affects like, 
you know, how they choose to make that next decision. Because it's, it's like if it's happening now, before you even walk on campus, then what's, what's it going to be like if I'm not performing well? Or, you know, if you bring in another recruit the next year. So it kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And I know several players who decided to, to change where they were going. And uh, some guys went to Tech, some guys went to Auburn. And it was solely based off the fact that Georgia was showing more attention uh, to another guy in that time, in that short time. Which span. is probably what Georgia coaches intended. Yeah. I mean, you know, they they, right. they soured on a guy. Or maybe not. I mean, every you know, maybe they were – I don't know. It, we, we tend to a lot of times put the fault on coaches, but there are bad apples out there among players. There are guys who are probably too, sure. you know, too high maintenance. Um, when a coach and a coaching staff might be saying, you know, look, we love you, but we also want to also we love we love this guy too. Let's bring you both in. You know, like if they're both offensive linemen, for instance, like we need to play five offensive linemen, five off you know two all you're both tackles. You know, there's room for both of you, or we're bringing you in. You know, for competition, or whatever. And there may be players who are like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't want to deal with that, whatever. But um, there's there's recruiting stories. Like I I'd love to write a book just on recruiting stories and yeah. talk to coaches. I've always, I've always wanted to talk to coaches about like the worst meals they've ever had on a recruiting trip. Um, their worst recruiting <laughs> war stories, uh, like stories from the road and stuff. The problem is nobody will talk about it while they're in the business <laughs> because they don't want to alienate right. anybody. Um, players like you, Rennie must have great stories of coaches that were, I don't know. Is there one that stands out that like maybe you don't name the person, but was there like a really weird <laughs> visit that w- like when the coach left, you're like, oh, what was that? All right, nah. For uh, for me, there's uh, I don't have a story. Well, I, I got a story pre um, actually in house visits that was kind of like, all right, what just happened? But uh, besides that, I I got I mean a classic story when Coach Rickton and. Uh, Coach Jancic, John Jancic, and Coach Bobo all came over to my house. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if, I, if I've told you this one or you heard about it, but my mom uh, cooked Liberian food, and we were all enjoying it. She made this dish called jello rice, which I believe Liberians make. Like every like Nigerians have jello rice, Ghanaians have jello rice, uh, <laughs> Sierra Leone, uh, Leonians have jello rice, but I feel like ours is the best. And, you can. It's always. It's a never-ending argument. But basically, my mom made this dish. Everybody comes over to the house and they try it. They're loving it. And then all of a sudden, my dad brings some pepper sauce, and uh, it's like the, the hottest peppers in the world, like habaneros. And um, he puts some of this on his dish, and we're all going around the table and just having a good time. And Coach Rick's like, "What's what's that? Let me let me get some of that." And I'm like, "Coach, do not." touch that do not eat it i don't even eat that <laughs> and sure enough coach rick's trying to be cool and he's trying to you know get in with the family and so he gets some of that pepper sauce and then coach jancic and coach bobo now they want to join in too they get confidence and uh they all <laughs> get a little bit of it man and i just see them eat it and immediately they all turn red and i'm just like oh dang coach rick's oh. about to die at my house like <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it was just one of those funny. We still talk about that to this day. But I'm sure that, like you said, coaches have a million stories like that uh, with things that just happen that are funny or just, you know, trivial or, or whatever, man. Yeah, there was a there was a head or an assistant coach maybe. It may have been Manny Diaz for some reason. I remember this. But there was some assistant coach um, who 
like a year ago or so, like screenshotted a text exchange with his wife who like had him on a diet. Oh, uh, and what and she's like i'm looking at our credit card statement you've gone to wendy's and other fast food places like every day this week like for lunch and dinner and some breakfasts and and he's like i've been on the road what do you what can i do uh, um and yeah i mean clearly that was an assistant coach not a not a head coach who could go somewhere and get catered but i gotta think coaches have eaten some a, a wide array of dishes before um kirby has talked about I put this in my book that's coming out next year, so I don't want to, But Kirby's talked about uh, DeAndre Swift's mom, I think, made the best shepherd's pie mm. that he's ever eaten. Um, and I, I'm actually making shepherd's pie tonight for my kids. My wife and my kids hate shepherd's pie. I mean, maybe <laughs> I need to get DeAndre Swift's mom down here to make it. Oh, yeah. um, but, yeah, there, there's there's got to be a bunch of great stories like that that would make for a great book, but people don't really want to talk about it right. yet. Um, how long did how long did those in-house visits take? Like, what what happens on those? I mean, it's it's basically just like a, I mean, it's a, that personal time that you have just to really uh, get to know them one last time before you know things get really serious before uh, you know the signing period. So what I remember from it was just how how genuine it was. You know, they come over and you know meet the family, learn a, a little bit more about you, and just kind of see you when you're your uh, home space, man, and and get to know your parents a little bit more, uh, more than they already have. It's just that one-on-one time that's really special. So, you you know, like I said, mom typically cooks something, and it's just really uh, their time to get to know you on a personal side. So, like, you show them the family pictures, like, you you know, they get to meet everybody. Like, it's it's really, really cool. And then it's surreal, too, because you're just sitting there, and you're like, oh, wow. Like, Code Rick's at my house. Like, (laughs) You know, I, I used right. to only watch this guy on, you know, CBS, whatever, like the CBS Saturday games, and now he's in my crib. So there's just that whole appeal, uh, man, of, of them just being there in your space and just really getting to know you uh, personally and just really solidifies that relationship that you have with your coach and um, with that university that you're about to give your life to for the next four years. So, yeah. And how does it go from loving you up throughout the recruiting process to like practice starts and they start, you know, coaching. Right. <laughs> and, and, I mean, I, I've, I've never, I've, I've, it's hard for me from the outside to see how you go from recruiting a guy, telling him how great, please come play in us to yelling at you at practice. Yeah. It, it is one of the toughest transitions and a lot of guys, they, they can't handle it. And some of them never bounce back because they had such a great recruiting process. And then, the first thing, I'll tell you, the first thing that hits you after recruiting is you walk into that locker room once all the seniors or all the, you know, the veteran players get there and you realize, like, oh, crap, like, they were just like me. Like, these guys, some of these guys are way more heavily recruited mm-hmm. than I was, and some of them aren't even playing. And all these just different realizations go through your head. Like, you start kind of, uh, like, kind of role-playing with the different players of how their recruiting must have been, like, how highly touted they were. Uh, coming out and it's almost like you have no reason to even share about your recruiting experience or your accolades or anything and and so you're immediately humble when you walk into the locker room and so you have to start from there and then you get on the field and then your coach or you get in the the film room and you realize how much you don't know how much you know mentally you're behind and how much you have to build and then your coach is on you you know before you even get out on the field you have to go through some type of extreme training where they basically break you down and to build you up so that's whether that's mat drills 
or just some type of off-season training where you're working up at 4 a.m. like military style. And so right then and there, you learn like, man, this is <laughs> um, <laughs> the scholarship was not free. Like, um, <laughs> you know, like this is a yeah. business. This is somebody's job on the line. And the, the stakes are so much higher. You realize very early on as an 18 year old. And, you know, when you get there, you realize your time isn't yours. All those different things happen, man. And like I said, some guys have that mental toughness or whether it is that whether it's that they came from a um, pretty well-established program to where it's not that big of a transition and where they're used to playing around competition. I felt like that was me coming out of Gwinnett County. We, we were, you know, top classification. We played a lot against, I mean, played against a lot of really great players. Like I played against Caleb King, who was the number one running back coming out. So uh, a lot of great caliber players. But if you're coming from like that small town and 1A and you've been the man the whole entire time and now you all of a sudden or in that environment, man, it's it's extremely intimidating, not just only performance-wise, but just socially. Being in a classroom, um, and that's another thing people don't think about. Like, you still have to go to class with kids who are, like, the top-performing students academically, and even that's overwhelming, you know, and just you kind of can become a shell if you're not ready for that. Did the whole, and we have to wrap up in a second here, but did the whole process, when you look back, were you still happy with it? Do you feel like you were told the right things and that the experience from recruiting to playing, how everything turned out, was was what you wanted or was there anything you wish you could change about the process? No, I mean, uh, for me, there, there's always going to be things that you wish you could change in the recruiting process. Uh, for me, I wish Georgia would have, you know, offered me a lot earlier. But uh, and that, that was one of the things that kind of frustrated me because – I knew they were looking at other players out of state, and I was kind of like their their backup, their their last resort. I feel like, um, and not even their last resort because it, it's it's like if you're not first, you're somebody's last resort. So that's like part of that's just ego. But overall, it was a great experience, man. Once once I did commit, and once I did decide to be a part of the uh, class, which was pretty early on, um, still in my junior year, like I, I became pretty much an advocate for just you know build, building the right team, getting the right players. Uh, with this, I remember sending messages to Eric Berry and to, you know, the, to uh, Morgan Burnett and Jonathan Dyer trying to get re- recruit all of them. And it's like, of course, we couldn't get everybody. Um, but from when I went through the recruiting process to when I got there, there were extreme challenges. Like I didn't uh, know just the depth of how many linebackers. Like I knew I knew our linebackers and I was around them, but just uh, the level of competition, the level of play in the SEC, that's a whole different level. And so when you get there, uh, for a guy like me, you're not, you don't play right away. Maybe you don't redshirt. You're able to overcome that hurdle of getting on the field early on, but you don't get on the field, man. It's, it's extremely discouraging. And it's like, um, it's, it's not what you imagine when you're going through the recruiting process that you're going to have to wait or that you're going to have to be behind starters for an extended period of time. And luckily for me, I had enough faith and mental toughness and perseverance and humility to continue to keep my head down and grind and work hard until my opportunity came, which wasn't, like I said, until, uh, you know, eight, nine weeks into the season, which, uh, like I said, a lot of guys just, they falter and they struggle, man, um, great, heavily, and they never really um, regain their confidence. They never really bounce back uh, during those times um, because, like I said, either they haven't faced that competition or they weren't from a well-established program, so as talented as they are, uh, it's, it's, it becomes an extreme struggle. So everybody, like I said, everybody's journey is different. There's some guys who get there 
everything kind of plays out right away. Some guys like myself who have to wait eight, nine games, some who get hurt. So you'll you'll get a different from every player, I believe. But mine was I could say it was it was smooth. Not without challenges, but it was everything that I imagined it to be. And I just made the best of it. Yeah, you're you're making me think that like I really need to do a recruiting book. And I know people have done recruiting books, but like to really talk to people and get stories because I mean it's it's great for you that you had a pretty good experience. I mean, yeah, if Georgia had offered earlier, then maybe you would have been able to hit up Eric Berry earlier, and Eric Berry would have gone to Georgia, and that would have changed a lot. But uh, oh man, <laughs> but there there's got to be guys who ended up on the other side of it. I mean, I, I think it's. Like so, we were saying, there's there's bad apples among recruits, and there's mm-hmm. bad apples among coaches and recruiters, and I guess the the deal is people trying to match up with the right school, and it's it's like I've, I've always heard people say, go to the school, go to the school, don't choose a coach, don't choose you know, uh, yeah, basically go to the school, go to the program, not the coach, but man, that's hard when you're when you're in. I mean, I guess for you as an in-state kid, that's one thing, but in the situation it, it's especially when schools are using the coaches mm-hmm. and and hiring coaches based on their recruiting abilities um it's just it's a tough deal oh yeah i, I completely agree like when you look at a guy like coach rick coach rick was uj like when you thought of uj you thought of coach rick immediately so to try to separate him from the brand was almost in, impossible and that was I mean, I'd say 90% of the reason why I went there because I knew I was going to be playing for a guy friend, man, a man who loved his family, a man who was personable, who was humble, a guy who, you know, who knew how to get the job done as far as winning and just made me feel good as a person. Um, so, yeah, to, to have to, at that age, when you're, you're 18 years old and you're basically, like when you, when you look at a coach and making that decision, that's basically like saying, you're going to be my parent for the next four years. So, that involves so much trust and so much vulnerability and, mm-hmm. and so many different things, man. When you look at having to go away from your family, a lot of us have never been away from our families for more than a couple of days. <laughs> so you look at the, making a decision to be with a, a person for four years of your life or with a group of guys, it's, it's huge. And yeah, you, you really can't separate the two. It, it comes, it goes hand in hand. All right. Well, we could probably go on for a while about recruiting yeah. stuff. Um, well, Rennie, uh, we'll I guess uh, probably won't see you next week because uh, I'm I got family coming in. So happy holidays, Sorry. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy holidays to everybody, to you, and uh, hope you have a great week. And then we'll be back. Uh, I guess maybe our next show will be with you and me. Will be to talk about the Sugar Bowl. Yeah. It went by fast, didn't yeah. it? All right. Yeah, yeah. The the December seventh, I think, was the day of the SEC championship. So this was a this was a abbreviated kind of bowl season. Um, so yeah, you're 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 not alone in being a little bit surprised that this is catching up on us. Okay. All right, Randy. Well, happy holidays to you. And your loved ones. Holidays. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. Go dogs. We just stepped on their face with a hobnail boot and broke their nose. We just crushed their face. <laughs>